Dude, Ghislaine kind of looks like me in this one picture. <laughs> Let me see. Holy shit, I'm she, suffering a fucking crisis oh my of God, identity. She does. She does look like me. She's got that same droopy face. See, now everyone's saying this is only going to add to everyone's theory about you being a CIA agent. So the theory about me being a CIA agent is stupid because of two things. First of all, I work for the FBI informing on DSA chapters. Sure. Second of all, uh, it's like they think I'm a CIA agent because like the main people that like started that... I, I, I said that she looked like a fucking used mop, and that, like, drove her insane. What? The, oh, late, the person? The person that, that really went hard on me being a CIA mm. agent. Um, second of all, I... This is a third of all. No, this is a second of all. Oh, okay. The f- second thing was an addendum. Okay. Um, second of all, I... Like, I wouldn't work for the CIA because they don't pay enough. Like, I don't take stringer money. I'm not a fucking freelancer. How much do you think they pay, Brace? It's like 20K an article. And by article, I mean operation. (laughs) Um, I value my labor. (laughs) And when the CIA asked me to do emotional labor for them, like pretend to be cool and like pretend to be like friends with people Mm -hmm. and like get media exposure to give fake tips about Jeffrey Epstein to throw people off the real scent with my limited hangout podcast. Uh It's not, I'm sorry, it's not enough. Like I could easily just get a job being like department, uh, like secretary of labor the or CIA something. is always asking you to like Google things and you're like, listen, I can't be yeah. the one to tell you this. You're going to have to be me. Like, I'm ser- I'm sorry. Like, it's not my job to educate you. So if you do think I'm a CIA agent, think that. Like, I disagree with you, but it's not my job to educate you. That's a good point, Liz. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm sick of people just like asking me like free labor, free labor. Free- I value my time. That's what I'm taking. I'm taking back my time. Venmo's in bio. Yeah, Venmo <laughs> is in the bio. <laughs> Amazon wish list. Cash, cash at me. Yeah, yeah. You know what's on my wish list? What? Three sex slavery books. No. Welcome to another episode of True and On. I am the only host of this show, Bad Boy Brace Belden, featuring Liz. Hi, and our producer Young Chomsky. Today we are doing a little Epstein roundup. Yeah, we're going to talk about some news. There's a lot to get to, but then later... The feature is... We are going to be joined by Noah Cohen and... Marissa Brustoff from Jewish Currents. Yes, in a fire episode <laughs> about Epstein's Israel connections mm-hmm. uh, and what the fuck continuity is. It is a fucking trip and a half. Yeah, so that'll be fun. We'll get to that in a little bit. Yes. But first, you want to talk about some news? I would love to. Liz, you were right. What? The fake. The photo was fake. Oh, I, hello. Okay. Let's back up again. You always just like dive right in, and we gotta say yes. hello, guys. Welcome, Patreon people. Is this a Patty Patty app? That's what I yeah. call them. I call Patreon Patty. Yeah, this is a straight up Patty mouth. Is that an Irish slur? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, those people are mysteriously missing from this story. Uh, um. So, hi guys, thanks for listening. But yes, Brace, 
thank you because I would like to take my little victory lap as our, uh, you know, obsessive, astute, fantastic listeners will know. I called that the Ghislaine photo at In-N-Out was photoshopped. I said, it's a shop. It's a shop. Yeah. Women be shopping. Photoshopping. Um, That's you, what happened. It's, it's. And I was right. So this is how you guys know. Keep listening to True Non because we're always right. Fake news media, wrong. So the funny thing about this, I think women like constantly scour photos of other women to be like, oh, she used one of those Korean apps to make like her Oh, yeah, totally. That's actually really a thing. Yeah, like, no. Me I'm, and my girlfriends are always like looking at Instagram and we'll be like, oh my God, she like totally like extended her legs. She's kind of like skinny. Extended and, her legs? Yeah, like so you can like, you can like make the photos look a little bit like longer, which makes you look like longer and leaner and taller. So if I took a picture of something for say that could stand to get a, a little longer, I could do that in post-production? Yeah, I, I can show you the apps. Okay, good to know. Yeah. So the bricks behind her are fucking like, they look like shit. They look like someone just like did it in MS Paint. And her fucking lawyer's dog is the dog sitting by her. Yeah, so, okay, here's my theory with this. Because the photoshopping is so obviously bad. Amateur hour. It's real. I mean, I could do better, honestly. And I'm a, you know, I taught myself many, many years ago. Um, But it's so obviously bad. But So I think that the purpose of the photograph was not to, like get us regular folks thinking that Ghislaine is in Los Angeles, but is actually a highly designed uh, message to either Ghislaine's many handlers Mm -hmm. or if she's still got friends in high places at different agencies to get her out. Yeah, you had a theory about the in and out being like a Yes, Bridgie, again, Bridgie Therese. um, Our queen. mm Mm-hmm. She kind of planted this little seed in my brain, and I can't stop thinking about it. But so the idea is that the use of In-N-Out, the use of the book, the use of the poster, Good Boys, which mm-hmm. was photoshopped in. Yes. All, like, come together to send a message, like, I, I need the help me. I want to get off, I basically. want the good boys to rescue me. Exactly. Yeah, okay. And another thing that's really crazy and I think supports this theory is that in the background of that photo, like in real life, there's a, a, like an, a neon sign uh-huh. for a restaurant called like Michelli's or something. I think it's Marino's. Marino's? I don't know. Are you just making that up? I... Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> okay, anyway, so there's a sign for Italiano cuisine in the background that they shopped out. Mm. Why would you shop it out? Oh, because you don't want it to interfere with the message that you're trying to send. Mediterranean erasure also. Yes, well, look, I'm being serious. Yeah. I think I'm right. I, I You know what? I've been right before, I'll be right again, and it, I think I'm right An right iron now. law of logic is if you're right once, you're right always. Yes, especially so, if you're a woman. Yes, I'm getting on this train with you. We're chewing into the station. All right, um, so that's my theory, you guys. Yeah, it, it's funny because in the in the because when this appeared in the post, it made it seem like this was from a fellow diner, and and the story went, the diner asked like, "Are <laughs> wait, you?" Wait, didn't they call him like a uh, uh, like regular? A regular diner. No, it's a regular to a fast food restaurant. Well, I think it might have meant normal person. Oh no, it must have meant regular. It's in the no, context of No, it's like every a, day I get the same order of In and Out. It's yeah. like, uh, buddy, 
I don't think you should do that. That's not healthy. <laughs> Anyways, it, it had him asking, are you who I think you are? And Maxwell said, yes, I am. So that was reported on in all, you know, like outlets just re-report the same story from wherever it appears. So that quote appeared numerous places. The Post later removed that quote because it's not quite clear why a diner, a regular diner, would be bringing his like long lens camera to the in and out in fucking Studio City. Universal City. Universal City, whatever. It's a city, you know, movies, It's over there. Studio City is close, so it's okay. I, you know there's a place called City of Industry in L.A.? Yes, I what did know that. What a funny name. That's uh, where the industry is. Anyways, and the, the, the photo appears, in fact, it doesn't appear, it was provided by her friend uh, and attorney, Leah Safian. Uh, who's Instagram? Who has an Instagram for the dog that appears in the video? Why do people make Instagrams for their dogs? No one looks at those. You know, actually, um, you don't know who this is, but Boogie Cousins, who's a basketball player, one of my favorite basketball players, has uh-huh. an incredible Instagram account for his dog called the Big Boy Gotti, and it's so cute. And he like dresses his dog up in little outfits and posts like as if it's his dog. I highly recommend for all the basketball guys out there listening. I st- I probably better basketball than Boogie. No, also Boogie just got hurt, so actually that's kind of sad. Okay, so I am better at basketball <laughs> than him. I can hoop. Um, so yeah, the, the the photo was, I think it had, I don't know what metadata is. Actually, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to act stupid. I do know what metadata is. It's uh, like, Bruce, you don't have to act stupid. Yeah, well, I'm be not true. Be yeah, true I want to be are. my true authentic self on this pedophile Patreon podcast. <laughs> um, PPP. It was tagged with the ladies fucking Meadowgate Media Investments Incorporated, like, yeah, so this there. is what I'm saying. Like, this is not. This is really sloppy. Yeah. This is. These are not the brain geniuses. I think they're or like. Or they are. Oh, you think it's like a meta, like yeah. meta brain genius? I mean, genius? They're, they're they're trying to send a message. The CIA thing is like, come on. But it also we didn't like the funny thing is about the CIA, like the you know the book book about uh, death of heroes in the CIA. Mm. Um, you don't see the book, like, the book's cover or spine. No, no, I'm just saying, like, are you saying that because it's so easy to tell that it's Photoshopped, yeah. we're supposed to know that it's Photoshopped? Yeah, or, or I mean, the, the other explanation is that she just wanted a day to get out of the country and wanted some eyes on a uh, on a different part of, of the country, you know, all the way across yeah. from Boston. And so she put out out there, knowing it wouldn't last probably, but could divert some attention from her from her actual location for a little while. Obviously, a stupid move. I believe her sister was also seen packing an SUV with bags uh, uh, near the allegedly. yeah allegedly near the house. Um, but that could also be another fake story planted. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of on this idea that like um, Ghislaine is like kind of like out. On her own. Yeah, they cut it. Yeah, they, they, for she's sure. She's been cut loose. They, uh, and that's why this, she's working with her, like, mm, joke of a, an attorney. Yeah. Photoshopping, like, late night Photoshopping or whatever. Jesus Christ. And so that's what the message is supposed to be, as opposed to it being the, some elaborate ruse where we're supposed to know that it's fake. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, she is, she is the spy who's been left out in the cold. Well, Ghislaine, get well soon. So, or um, don't. I don't know. So, <laughs> moving on, there is a will. Whether there's a will, there's a way. And there is a way to see who this money goes to. You're talking about Epstein's will. Jeffrey Epstein, deceased, the martyr Jeffrey Epstein, uh, has, of course, he he, he made up a will two days before his um, murder. 
And it's there's some interesting things about it. First of all, we're not really going to know who this money goes to. Well, how, um, how much money is it? It's a little. It's a. It's almost six hundred million dollars. Five hundred and seventy-seven million. Other accounts say it's a little more. Uh, from what I can tell, it's 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 just around five hundred and seventy-seven. Um, according to CBS News, that will filed in the U.S. Virgin Islands and obtained by CBS News is a pour-over will that transfers or pours over all of Epstein's vast assets into a private trust. The trust, of course, is secret, not open to the public. It is administered by trustees. So none of that money will go anywhere until a probate court settles what to do with the various lawsuits against, in my notes, it says, dumbass Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, there was more lawsuits filed again this week. And that that's actually good news. That means that some of these girls might get their hands on a little bit of this filthy lucre uh, before it gets transferred to, I, I assume his, his brother is helping oversee. Yeah, um, I... Yeah, it seems like Mark Mark is the one who identified the body, after all. Yes. And he seems to be very involved with Jeffrey's estate. Well, so Jeffrey named three executors in his will. His longtime lawyer, Darren Indyke, uh, who appears to actually just work solely for Epstein, and a big fat idiot, and this is again my notes, I'm reading verbatim, named Khan, uh, who is also <laughs> a lawyer for Jeffrey Epstein. And they are secretary and president, respectively, of Epstein's shady-ass Gratitude America Charity. Okay. The third guy who's named as an executor, however, is biotech venture capitalist Boris Nikolic, who runs Biomatics Capital. Uh, any of our sleuthing fans out there, I invite you to take a look at their portfolio. Uh, their assets include gene sequencing companies, uh, where Boris Nikolic often serves on the board. Uh, he was also an advisor to famed eugenicist Bill Gates until 2014. <laughs> famed eugenicist. Well, so Bill Gates uh, just wants, if you live in Africa, Bill Gates does not want you to have a baby. Let's just be clear. We're talking about Bill Gates, the Bill Gates. The Bill Gates. Okay. Yes. The guy, Bill and Melinda Gates, Gates Foundation, Bill Microsoft Gates. Microsoft Gates. Haiti Gates. Haiti Gates. Shady Gates. Shady, Gates. Uh, anyways, Bill here, or excuse me, Boris here, it says he's totally shocked to see his name. On the will. Oh, okay. Well, you don't just really name a guy you met a couple times at a party as an executor on your will. Yeah, that's not no. Yeah, it's funny because um, all of these people who end up getting either named in lawsuits or asked about their whereabouts at Jeffrey's parties or whatever, every one of them has the same answer, which is, "What? Oh my gosh, I didn't know him. I'm How so surprised." And again, it's like, it's, "Well, listen, buddy, I'm not surprised." Yeah. There was another really good little uh, little gossip item in the news, um, Brace. I don't know if you saw it, but someone, an intrepid journalist, and this is the kind of gonzo journalism that I truly appreciate, uh-huh. um, found Jeffrey Epstein's social media profiles. Yes. Did you see this? I did. So this was in Business Insider. Um, they found his... Uh, Twitter, Spotify, and of course his Pinterest, where he keeps all his mood boards, his pedo mood boards. Uh huh. Um, but it's just really funny the way they put this. They say his tastes varied from gospel music to Broadway show tunes Ooh. to tracks by the disgraced comic Louis C.K. I love how they're trying to <laughs> attach Louis C.K. to Jeffrey Epstein. Louis C.K. Was, was just addicted to jacking off in front of people. Yeah, Louis C.K. is not a pedophile. No, Louis C.K. is. Uh, he is he is just another example of a kinkster. And read with that, read into that what you may, but not a plus for me. 
Um, they also, this is from the article, they also suggest a preference for hard rock songs from the 1970s mm. that emphasized male sexual conquest, as well as the odd song about sexual attraction between children and adults. Okay. Van Halen's, quote, hot for teacher, and an Oscar Peterson performance of, quote, my heart belongs to daddy. Well, there's also, of course... I'm sure I'm just making this up. Probably that Serge Gainsbourg uh, song, Lemon Incest, that he did with his daughter. So I, you know, I I love uh, reading into shit too much and being kind of crazy, but I think this is reaching a little bit. You think so? <laughs> I mean, hot, the thing is about putting hot for teacher in your Spotify playlist. First of all, Jeffrey Epstein, of course, was a teacher. That's where he got his career started. Uh, but also, that's a song that you will literally hear no matter where you on the world, where you are in the world, the second you turn on your radio. There's no point in putting that on your fucking. That's like putting hold music on your playlist. It's absurd. Other playlists focus on Elton John, classical music, mm. Broadway tunes, uh-huh. the jazz artist Oscar Peterson, and the rapper Pitbull. Pitbull's in here. Mm. Elsewhere, uh, you can find Eric Clapton's quote: "Before you accuse me." Mm. That's a reach. I know. It's all really, I mean, it's all very silly, but I do like the silly. I encourage more silly. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And you know what? This is obviously a little aside here, but I really liked Beto O'Rourke's playlist. Wait, did you look at those? Yeah, it's great. No. no, I didn't it has even raining open up sa- that stupid it's, thing. It's got raining sound. It's got the uh, the exploding hearts on it. Oh. It's like a killer. It's got the fucking penetrators on it. It's a killer rock and playlist. That's cute. Yeah. He's it's so good. Gen X. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he sucks. He loves like, 90s he totally garage. That should be like, well, that should be a warning sign for anybody. I was joking that he should just make like slanted and enchanted his entire like campaign theme <laughs> and like every girl's heart will melt. He should just run He'll his campaign like Empire Records. Yeah. He would get a bunch of pity votes. Or like nostalgia votes. I would. Yeah. And he'll take nostalgia votes away from Joe Biden. <laughs> um, okay, so that's a fun little article. I mean, it's kind of stupid. They do. They also mentioned that apparently on his Pinterest page. I can't believe Jeffrey Epstein would have a Pinterest. Yeah, that's that, so is, that is perverted. <laughs> Any man who has a Pinterest, you're on my list. I'm questioning you for sex crimes. Yes. But um, I guess he had all these pictures of Peter Pan. The uh, boy who never grows up. Yeah, I don't like that. I know at it's all. a little weird. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little weird. The whole Peter Pan thing gives me the willies, anyways. Life is a playground. I want somebody to play with. Are you? Are you the? Are you the? Are you the? Um, so another, like, this, okay, Brace, will you indulge me for a second? I do, I don't think I have a choice, absolutely. (laughs) That's true, you don't. Um, Um, so, this, like, this is, like, this is kind of a tangent, sorry guys, but I need to, I saw this tweet that just put me in quite a tizzy this morning, from, do you know who Arthur Chu is? Do I know who (laughs) Arthur Chu is? (laughs) Sister, I've harassed Arthur Chu for years. (laughs) Will you explain to our listeners who he is? Because there are, for some reason, there are people who are not terminally online who are listening to this podcast. Arthur Chu is a former Jeopardy champion. 
who, sweating his way through championship after championship after championship, became like a minor celebrity because he was like a kind of like a woke lord guy also on the internet. And uh, like, like, insu- like to the most insufferable degree. And he got this weird sort of fame around him. At the same time, he was universally reviled. Because his character is not the character of a man that you anyone can respect. There was a documentary about him, which is apparently like the... What's that Metallica documentary? Some Kind of Monster? It's like the Some Kind of Monster <laughs> of Jeopardy. It's just like a fucking horror show that serves to alienate anybody who could potentially be his audience. Um, yeah. And he's always really sweaty. <laughs> That's like his thing, right? Yeah. But he he's consistently has probably the worst um, viewpoint on any issue, no matter what. Okay, yeah. So then this is a Guinness Book of World Records for him, because this is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. And I'm just going to read it out, because I kind of like flipped my shit this morning when I read this. Yeah. You're usually so calm and collected. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says, so this is him saying this, not me. Let's just be clear. Children should be encouraged to see the accoutrements of, quote, fetishes Mm. as a normal part of adult life, since they themselves will soon be adults and probably have their own, quote, fetishes. Yeah. And then in parentheses, the key problem here is seeing, quote, fetish as a terrifying virus infecting vulnerable minds. Uh Uh-huh. So here's my thing. No. First of all, no. Yeah. No. Yes. That's crazy. I, wait, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I yes. know. I'm saying you cannot dress up like a uh, child predation in like woke language. I, I think it's weird to involve your, like, not your, any kids in your sex. Because fetish is not like, I don't have like a fetish for bananas. You know, well, I, you could, I guess. But like, you know, I don't have like, I don't have, I don't like have a fetish for heavy metal. It's like a fetish is a sexual thing. Yeah, no, this is completely inappropriate and crazy. And I'm sorry, like, uh, this kind of shit needs to be pushed back on, like, full, full, zero tolerance policy. Yeah. Like, no, 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 you can't sneak any of this shit in. Because the idea that sex pests are only on the right or, I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. I don't know if I would describe Arthur Chu as a man of the left, but... (laughs) Well, he's a liberal or whatever. Yeah, he is, like, the liberal. (laughs) But, yeah, I do find it weird, like, dressing up this, like... Like, if you said this in any other, like, way, like, you rephrased that sentence to sound like like a regular person talk, you would basically be being, like... It's okay to, like, show your kids that, like, you like getting pissed on because someday they might like getting pissed on, too. It's complete. It's, like, so crazy to me. Yeah. It's, it's like liberals are, uh, like, ideologically incapable of seeing a division, like, a categorical division between child and adult. Yeah. I mean, I can because it's, if I assaulted a child, which is, like, I get harassed by teens a lot on the bus. I get pushed around. They steal stuff. I'm just kidding. That never fucking happens <laughs> to me. But, like, there is a there is a difference. Like, I don't like... Like, it's this whole Jeffrey Epstein thing is insane to me because I could never imagine being intimate with, like, a 16-year-old. I don't even want to I mean, talk I to a 16-year-old. I don't think that that's, like, what he's saying. I, yeah, I know, but, but like, I'm just, like... what he's getting at is, like, incredibly... Uh, take the logic to its conclusion, and it's incredibly problematic as the kids say yeah it's pretty insane to me and it reminds me yeah it reminds me a lot of who dr pizza oh my gosh dr pizza uh Uh, what's his real name dr pizza's name is peter bright 
That's right. Peter Bright. So I don't... So what's funny is this happened... When did this happen? Like a couple months ago? Yeah, I think in... And it got like really swept June. under the rug. Like well, you really didn't see a lot of noise. You saw it. I saw some of it on like kind of like weird right wing parts of Twitter. Yeah. But like liberals and the left like just like, whoop. That's weird, but kind of, like, didn't talk about it. Well, I don't know. Because Peter Bright wasn't exactly very famous. He was, like, a middling tech blogger for Ars Technica. He did have a blue check and was, like, a journalist in, in Scottish yeah. journalist circles. But uh, for those of you who do not know, uh, Peter Bright was arrested for soliciting sex with children online. Uh, he, he was a federal complaint. This is from The Daily Dot. A federal complaint alleges that Bright sought to molest a seven and nine-year-old and met with an undercover agent for this purpose, at which point was arrested. It also states that Bright claimed to be in a sexual relationship with an 11-year-old. He is currently being held without bail. That in itself isn't, like, an extraordinary thing. What, what really makes this, like, creepy is that he was, let's say, a sex-positive character. Uh-huh. So I'm juuling really hard to get through this right now. Um, in his bio, it said Polly slash Pan slash Pervy. And this is like his public bio on, on Twitter. Yeah, there was also, I mean, it's like kind of, his name is Dr. Pizza. I mean, that alone should give There's you a bi- pizza emoji in his name. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting pizza pilled lately. I know, we're going to talk From about left, that next week. But it is not a coincidence. Grace like, is totally pizza pilled, and I am here for it. Yeah, it's just different. It's like it's like the same thing like how QAnon was right about some stuff, but wrong about some major stuff. And it's like, I think it was trying to throw sand in your eyes, but there's real information in there. But back to Peter Bright. Yeah, he found uh, a FBI agent, which I assume... On, on one of these, like, I think it was Fet Life or something, which stands for Fetish Life. Um, Ew, is that a real thing? Fet is, it's like Ball is Life, Fet is Life. <laughs> no, it was Kink D. The website was called Kink D, a social media fetish platform. And his, his, his name on that was Random Anon. <laughs> which is like simple just brings to mind like there's like I'm so random people like I'm fucking I'm hella random well, like when girls are like I don't know I just feel so random you know what that you know what that means that means they want to complain for three hours and then say they're not hungry <laughs> gotta complain about something that's my motto yes um, but it is we're not gonna go super into the details no but I think the important point here that or that we're trying to get at and I mean, he's, I don't, we don't need to get into the details of like how it's all really, really gross and disturbing. And I yes. don't really want to read it, to be honest, or read it like out loud. Um, feel free to Google that and educate yourselves because that's not what I'm here for. Not my job. Um, but this is the thing is that he was, he was an avowed male feminist uh-huh. who once bragged about dating three feminists right now. Oh, at the he same wasn't time? talking about children. Okay. <laughs> but he spoke extensively about feminist issues and repeatedly condemned Gamergate. God, <laughs> everybody involved in that in any way is like, it is the biggest nerd shit in history. Like, I, it's like anyone involved on either side. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's like, like, just, just stop gaming. Just seriously. All of you, just stop gaming. <laughs> just stop. Log we gotta off. shut down gaming. Ha ha ha! What is gaming? Just yeah. log off. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we 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 gotta stop this stuff. Yeah, we gotta put a ban on gaming until we figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah, they if should Trump they should sell gym memberships banned, in the Steam sales. <laughs> if Trump came out and banned gaming, I would vote for him. 
Uh, Wait, Trump could no, never do that. It. Trump would never. I know. It would alienate his, his base whole base. Is gamers. I know. Anyway, so this guy is, uh, you know, pervy, pan, poly, mm-hmm. male feminist, fucking an actual pedophile. And there's always been that kind of canard, which is often true that, like, <laughs> these, I love saying canard. You do. Um, that, like, these, like, really, like, avowed, like, I, this kind of liberal yes, male like very feminist. Doth protest too much. Exactly. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I, like, I am uplifting the voices of women by, like, telling people to vote for Hillary or whatever. Like these sort of like these liberal feminist men are like mind sickos. Yeah. They're brain perverts. They are. And they're sometimes real perverts. Don't trust a feminist male or female. That's what I always say. I'm a humanist. (laughs) Uh, I love women. That's like, that's where you should go on that. I don't know what a feminist means. I mean, I think that women should like, um, Brace, you should not finish that sentence. Leave me alone. I'm a feminist for the record. Yeah. is a feminist right now in his tank top. And yeah, Yeah. sorry. Young Chomsky is, uh, our producer is insisting that he is a feminist. uh, And you can look on his Bumble profile too. DMs Um, are open. Yeah, he does. to say that you are one though. Uh, It's like real punks don't say they're punks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a poser. Anyway, what was my point here? Oh, my point is this. Yeah. You know, wa- watch out for the, you know, we are a, I mean, we don't see uh, ideology when it comes to pedophiles. Well, the thing is, pedophilia itself is an ideology because it sees <laughs> the child as a sexual object. And like, it's, it's like for Marxists who think solely in terms of class, let me rephrase that. <laughs> uh, no, that's redundant. You don't need to say that because Marx, that yeah. is Marxism. But like, ideology does play into this. Sure. However, as Marxists, who, you know, the viewpoint we see the world from, we can't see the children as sexual objects because we literally can't see anyone as sexual objects. We have to be. What kind of Marxism is this? This is something I learned in the Middle East. You have to be. <laughs> voluntarily celibate <laughs> to store your energies up. You're going, you're going to, are you, are you endorsing Volcel? Are you Volcel? I mean, the PKK is Volcel. Interesting. And they are the largest guerrilla army in the world. I have said that, you know, I'm anti-horny. Yeah. Which I think that's just more of like, because I believe in being cool. Mm. And there's nothing cool about being horny. Mm. Yeah. Well, to me, I, I'm, I'm, insanely pro horny. Uh, I think it's really funny when, when people like nut and bust, etc. No, let's not. Welcome, uh, Marissa Brostoff, the culture editor of Jewish Currents, and Noah Kulwin, who is a staff writer for Jewish Currents. Uh, welcome to <laughs> Truanon. We're happy to be here. Uh, first question, Epstein, is he good for the Jews? <laughs> he might be the best for the Jews. Yeah, actually. honestly, like, he, he makes, like, Mark Spitz and, uh, 
David Ben-Gurion, he makes them look like, like they're nothing. Jeffrey Epstein has done so much for the Jews. He's brought us together at a really vital moment. Yeah. All press is good press. You know, <laughs> what I've always said. That's true. That's true. That's what I'm always saying about the Daily Stormer. <laughs> yeah. All storms are good storms. So you guys have written a really fantastic article on Jewish Currents. First of all, what's Jewish Currents? Give me the give me the short version. Jewish Currents is a magazine committed to the thought, activism, and culture of the Jewish left. Um, it's existed since the 1940s. We are sort of a radical left-wing alternative to a lot of the mainstream Jewish press, um, particularly <laughs> the forward. <laughs> um, but we are interested in sort of, like, you know, there's been this really huge upswell in progressive thought, and there are many Jews um, on the left who just simply have not had a place to sort of, um, like, like to have a publication that speaks to them and is discussing ideas and reporting on events um, in the way that they, in, in a way that serves them. And so we um, we relaunched last year. Um, we got some. We had some donors who were uh, like pretty generous and helped us, you know, bring people on in a part time and full time capacity. Like we've a like we've like a, we've like roughly like a half dozen people um, on a regular payroll, and we are you know just basically trying to fight the good fight, you know, reporting on what we think matters um, and, you know, calling out, uh, I think, like, most importantly, like a lot of like what we're interested in is sort of like the bullshit about like, like a lot of the new conversations about like anti-Semitism yeah. um, and sort of what new Jewish culture looks like. And of course, uh, like Israel-Palestine and, and talking about them in the ways that old Jews and mainstream Jewish places are afraid to. So you wrote, you guys wrote this article called The Right Kind of Continuity. And before we start... Let's get a little terminology out of the way. Um, for the Gentiles. Exactly. For the for our Goyish listeners, which is uh, apparently stats say is about 2% of our well, audience. because of me. Because yes. I, I am also... Yes. yes. Liz, unfortunately, is also not yet, hasn't finished her conversion process. <laughs> um, so what is continuity? Um, so continuity in this context is um, the, the name for um, uh, the kind of primary goal of um, mainstream Jewish institutions for, let's say, the past 40 years or so um, that that aims to kind of reproduce um, a very specific kind of Jewishness in the United States. Um, so it, it starts in um, the 80s and 90s when uh, all these uh, mainstream institutions um, commission a bunch of studies to see like what is the current base of um, American Jewry. And what they find is that, um, you know, partly through like asking the wrong questions kind of, um, they, they, they find that Jews are um, marrying outside the faith and having children that are not being raised Jewish and not going to synagogue and, uh, you know, disinvested from Israel. Um, and they decide that, you know, this is a major problem and that that means like American Jews are dying out. Um, and they pour millions and millions of dollars into programs, um, birthright, Israel being the most famous, um, but also, you know, a ton of uh, like educational programs, summer camps, et cetera, um, that aim to essentially like uh, 
get young Jews involved in a very particular way um, by getting them like interested in a certain kind of Jewish life and also introducing them to each other with the yes. goal of getting yeah. them to like hook up and eventually um, have Jewish kids together. Yes, that's that's always been one of the most sort of fascinating and, 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 and kind of uh, vile aspects of the whole birthright thing is that they yeah, will we- send... Oh, can we, like, let's put a little pinpoint in Birthright, and maybe you can explain that entire program and kind of what it's trying to facilitate. Yeah. uh, Either explicitly or not so explicitly. Yeah, real quick, can one of you guys, like, give us the short version of how Birthright started? Sure. So Birthright was basically, like, as as Marissa pointed out, there were sort of all these big open questions in the 90s, especially – um, about how are we going to keep the Jews because yes. they're intermarrying themselves into extinction and all that kind of like frenzied worry. And simultaneously, you also had like the rapid growth and ascent of the Israel lobby in the United States and the ascent of a class of donors who suddenly ca- who cared a great deal about um, like linking, getting Jews to care about Israel. So birthright Israel sort of began for them as like the ultimate twofer. It was an idea that was meant to, we're going to encourage you know, Jewish reproduction, meaning like Jews hooking up with Jews, we're going to get them to care about Jewish identity, and we're going to get them to build, you know, really tight, close connections with Israel that we think will last the rest of their lives. And the way we're going to do this is by paying for them, like, like if between initially, I believe it was like 18 to 24, 25 years old was the target range. So a lot of college kids, a lot of people just out of college or people on like, you know, um, before they like people just graduating high school. And the idea was that you send them to Israel for like a week. Um, and birthright has become like they have sent like hundreds of thousands of people on trips and they've actually expanded the number, like the age range and the kinds of people that can go um, because they really are just like hurting to get as many Jews over there as possible. It's like commonly referred to and sort of viewed as like this massive, like the greatest project ever pulled off by diaspora Jewry, <laughs> um, which is like. Uh, at once incredibly depressing and enervating, but also I think kind of speaks to the seriousness with which they've sort of committed to this project. So, they, yeah, when I was younger, I remember like a lot because I'm friends with a lot of Jewish Jewish people and I never went on birthright uh, because I had already gotten laid at age 14. So I didn't need to. But a lot of friends of mine who who went out there and got their first kiss there or or when they're a little bit older, maybe got laid there. Uh, and I remember there was like reading all these articles about how like people on birthright, like American Jews would go there and literally have sex with a soldier in the IDF, which is not hard That's to do like because the, of the draft. That is the idea and there's pressure to it. We published a really big, um, when we relaunched last year, we published a really big story that, um, looked into sort of the sexual politics on birthright trips, um, both in terms of just like the harassment that happens, sexual assault, and also just sort of like the, like pressure cooker atmosphere that um, birthright kind of inculcated. Um, and I think that what you see in in the story is that like you have the explicit directive where it's like they're like pushing people to hook up with soldiers and everything. So yeah. it's like, in, it's not like, it's not, you know, it's not like they codified it in memos or whatever necessarily, but it's absolutely something like it was like explicit direction that like, oh no, no, this is like a good thing for you guys to do. You should do this. Like after you're done, like smoking hookah at like 1130 at night, <laughs> like in Jerusalem, like, you know, you should, you, know, you should have sex at the hostel with like, like Udi from like Beersheba or whatever. Yeah. And, and so bringing us around 
to our main point today. The people who started Birthright. Can you give us a quick list of their names? Sure. The big ones um, are the biggest ones are Michael Steinhardt, uh-huh. um, who for whom the Steinhardt Graduate School at uh, NYU is named. Um, Edgar Bromfman, who uh, his family's most recently been in the news because uh, a Bromfman daughter, like one of the Bromfmans, is caught up in that Nexium case. Yes, she yeah. is. Um, the sex cult. Yes. So um, weird sexual politics all around. Um, and one of the big donors who I'm not sure if he was part of the initial group, but gave millions over the years um, is one Leslie Wexner. Yes. Leslie Wexner. And let's not forget that Jeffrey Epstein handled or was about to handle the Bromfman Seagram's merger at Bear Stearns. Oh, yeah. When he was a partner there. Early on in his career. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, and Leslie Wexner also entrusted much of his money to Epstein. I know that Wexner himself was involved in planning some of the birthright stuff. Uh, I don't want to take away his agency or erase his voice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is really, there is this sort of like creepy sexual politics that goes into both of it. Cause I, I know you, you guys were telling us there is like a whole industry basically devoted to these sort of, mm, let's say strain studies on Jewish birth rates uh, and and this sort of like anti intermarriage uh, lobby basically within the Jewish community. Yeah, um, I, I think that the thing that really jumped out at us. Um, I, this is maybe jumping ahead, but like the the way that we came to write this story was that um, two news stories broke in the same week. Um, one was a story in the foreword about conflicts at Leslie Wexner-affiliated Jewish institutions um, where some people who were receiving um, Wexner support, financial support, were saying, wait, we need to break ties with this guy who, you know, now that we're, like, learning the extent of um, what Epstein has been accused of and the connections between uh, Wexner and Epstein. And then, two, there was a story a couple days later in the New York Times about a rant, a project that Epstein was planning apparently um, to create like a, a mass insemination program where he was just gonna um, get a ton of women pregnant with yes. his sperm um, at his ranch outside Santa Fe. The his, sex farm. The sex farm. <laughs> so we were sort of looking at these stories next to each other and we were like, well, um, you know, it's very hard to 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 not see some kind of like ideological echoes here, even if we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of like anti-Semitic conspiracy theory where one thing like literally becomes the other. I don't think he's, he's putting their blood into matzah, but there is... <laughs> There is a rather, let's he, say... He puts the man in Manischewitz. There is, all right, we are deleting that. Uh, <laughs> there is a rather, like... It, it, is so, it is almost something that could have come out of, like, a, a newspaper in Germany in the 30s because of its, its so, like, vile nature of it. Well, Liz is giving me a look. I'm not being anti-Semitic here. It's almost like it's like he's doing a fucking caricature, is what I'm saying. No, it's like a Philip Roth novel yes. version yes. of uh, what Der Sturmer would have exactly. come up with. In it's cartoon. like extremely horny Nazism. Exactly. Well, and then there's also, I mean, there's those echoes to the SS sex farms. 
Like we talked about this in an earlier episode where the SS basically had these breeding farms to get these perfect Aryans. I mean, the the sort of eugenics um, link between Epstein and and sort of the Nazi project is, I mean, there's a straight line right there. A lot of the eugenics stuff post-World War II was brought over by some of the same people. And it gets to like this sort of uncomfortable, like it's a kind of politics of like the billionaire donor class. And in this case, the billionaire Jewish donor class, where like what they see is an opportunity to kind of like what they're interested in doing. And we discussed in our piece is to make the future of the Jewish community in the image that they want it to be. Yes. And that means Jews marrying Jews. It means like it, mean, it, mean, it means like you know, right-wing Israel politics, and it's sort of an attempt to build institutions that will support that. Um, and, like, finally, obviously, with, the whole, with, like, all of the revelations about Epstein, I think that, like, it's arrived, like, those revelations have arrived at a moment when more and more Jews are questioning the nature of that arrangement. Yes. And the fact that they don't want to be, like, guinea pigs in, like, the project of, like, the Bronfmans and the Steinharts and so on. Yeah, and even in Israel, like, there's there, there's that connection where they were basically importing people with a fairly tenuous connection to Judaism in the 90s, and I'm sure still, uh, to because of this obsession with birth rates. They wanted to outnumber the Palestinians because in case, you know, God forbid for them, they actually had to become a democratic, um, you know, one state. Uh, they wanted to make sure that racially the, uh, the, the, the odds are in their corner. That project didn't work out so well. Uh, especially as that created neo-Nazi gangs in fucking uh, Jerusalem. Well, yeah, and that's something that I think um, is looks really different now that um, white nationalist replacement rhetoric is uh, so increasingly audible, is that, you know, I, I think um, when I was a kid, the idea that Israel had a quote-unquote demographic problem yeah. was just something that you would hear expressed as it were like a neutral statement in, um, you know, like ostensibly not right-wing um, Jewish spaces. It was just kind of like, well, this is like an issue that, you know, that Israel has to deal with, like the same way it has to deal with being in an unfriendly neighborhood or whatever. Yes. And I think it's it's really hard to, um, to not hear that as a eugenic and indeed like in it in itself an implicitly white nationalist argument um now that that is now that it just sounds exactly like what nationalists are saying all over the world yeah yeah and it's it's there's a lot there's always been to me like a pretty disturbing connection between between zionism and sort of this white nationalism or or the, this anti-semitism because to me like the re- the reason i was like kind of so turned off by it from when I was a kid because I'm like, I don't want to move to Israel. Like, I th- I'm from this community. Like, I want to stay in this community. And to me, like, a lot of Zionists, especially a lot of these, like, Bronfman, uh, Wexner types are saying, like, well, you actually don't belong here. You belong in Israel. Like, it is almost accepting the fact that, like, anti-Semites say that we're, like, a parasite on, like, the host nation and stuff like that. I mean, that's taking it to a pretty big extreme, but, like, it, there's a really good book by Isaac Deutscher about uh, Judaism, and and he sort of elaborates on a lot of those ideas. And yeah, it always kind of gave me the will because I'm like, well, I have no connection to Israel. Like, I'm not. What do you? I'm from I'm from fucking San Francisco. Like, yeah, I don't want to have to move there so that like you guys can have more babies than Palestinians. 
Yeah. I mean, and the other, I mean, one of the things that like has always sort of like stuck out about this to me is that we like in this moment, like a video that is like seared into my brain is um, when Richard Spencer was, I think, speaking at Texas A&M, he was on a college campus and a rabbi got up and thought he was about to like own Spencer with his own logic or something and basically brought up the idea that like, like Spencer's anti-Semitism, you know, like, like how does he reconcile with like, you know, like a thriving place like Israel um, or something like that. And he thought as if he had tripped him up and Spencer's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I think Israel rules. I think Israel is like the best possible example of like what this world looks like. And like the fact that that like, like, you know, like of course liberal Zionists and centrist Zionists would say like, no, no, he's just co-opting a good idea. Is he? Is he? Yeah. I don't know. I think he's actually speaking to the pretty, like, like the the true nature of that idea. And that's something that people don't really ever like accept uh, or like they don't wrestle with adequately. Yeah. Like Spencer says, we want our own Israel for the white. Yeah, he does. Like that's the line. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really terrifying. Um, how a lot of this, like you say, gets co-opted without, I think, without people really realizing it or interrogating some of this logic. Yeah, it it, it is pretty, like, startling to see, like, sort of the, the similarities between the rhetoric there, especially with, like, the whole Great Replacement thing, which isn't just pushed by fringe white nationalists or whatever. It's pushed by, like, governments in some places. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, famously, like Steve King and that one, I think, Cornyn in, in Texas. Um, yeah, it's 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 something to be to be watched. But I had a question for you guys about how just how much of the um, of the diaspora in America Jewish community is really funded by these guys with this weird project. So I think that it's it's like there's like sort of like a easy kind of narrative um, that I think it like help listeners sort of uh, understand this, which is that in like the 20th century, like for most of like, like for most of like the 20th century, the American Jewish community was funded uh, by like a broad base of Jews. Like yeah. your Jews gave money to your local federation and that federation um, would, you know, disperse money and provide services for Jews and non-Jews. But that the idea was that there was sort of it was it was a much more broad based kind of structure. And then, you know, like as Jews, you could say assimilated or just ceased to be involved in like a lot more explicitly Jewish causes and organizations um, and became less religious and stopped going to synagogue as much, which, by the way, largely tracks with like how non-Jewish, like how non-Jewish people um, approach like religious affiliation institutions in American life. Um, You sort of had the rise of like a class of donors who are older, more conservative in their politics and way wealthier, who just sort of stepped in to fill the void. So you had sort of over the process of a number of years, these donors sort of take the reins of these institutions and take the reins of the of of, I guess, like the direction of Jewish institutional life. So there's sort of more narrowly interested causes, the two biggest of which are fighting the threat of Jewish intermarriage or whatever, and also preserving American Jewish affinity for Israel. Um, these guys signed those checks. They are incredibly influential and have an enormous amount of sway over like even, you know, like relatively middle of the road or sort of, you know, like what you would think would be milk toast Jewish institutions get to do. 
Um, Wexner is a really good example of this because Wexner has spent millions of dollars over the years on these things that we, we talk about in our, in our piece called Wexner Graduate Fellowships. Yeah. And those are basically fellowships that go to um, like graduate students, like in rabbinical students um, at like all sorts of Jewish institutions and effectively provide a kind of, you know, like a key piece of financial support for people who otherwise probably couldn't shell out $40,000 a year or whatever to go to grad school. And I think that you look at things like that, like stuff like that. It's not like, you know, obviously it's not so like uh, nakedly coercive and trying to get these people to do bad things. But it represents like where the power is in this Jewish community and how the people with power have goals, like how when they have these really noxious goals and really shitty agendas, how it's really hard to dislodge them because they're necessary for the whole like set of institutions to operate. Yeah. And it's it's it's. It is astounding how like how much of it is is basically funded by this small group of people. I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal about the the so-called study group or informally known as the mega group. And it's got like Michael Steinhardt, uh, fucking Les Wexner. Who else has it got in it? Uh, The guy, the guy who owns Lowe's. um, And it's like basically 20 people who meet every couple of years and decide what their money is going to. And they've, they've decided pretty much every time it goes to. Uh, continuity stuff. Um, and there's been some scandals lately, or at least one, uh, one you guys mentioned in your article about a, a student who, or excuse me, an alumni of alumnus of one of these schools who objected to Wexner money and, and was what happened to him? Um, there was a student at, um, a yeshiva in New York who, um, brought up on a school listserv that, that the yeshiva, which I'm, I'm not sure if it was directly getting money from Wexner or if it was just that um, a lot of the leadership um, was made up of Wexner fellows because they're quite ubiquitous, like in um, the institutional world. Um, he basically said, like, maybe we should be having a serious conversation about um, cutting ties with Wexner, given what we've learned. Because also to be clear, like, it's not just that Epstein and Wexner were like personal besties and that, you know, Wexner gave Epstein like his mansion and his yacht and everything like, or his, his, like his, his plane, um, the Lolita Express. Like it's, it's, it's not just that. It's also that Epstein was playing, it seems, um, a key role in, um, setting the priority for the Wexner foundation. Yeah. He was on the board. Um, and giving money together for Jewish causes. So anyway, this student wrote this email, um, making that point and um and the head of the yeshiva who is as far as i understand it like considered like a fairly progressive rabbi um he also hilariously is the stepson of joe lieberman um he wrote back this email to the listserv like censuring the student and telling him um basically like you will not be welcome in this community until you perform a, a shuva which is repentance um, and saying, you know, like, I am ashamed to have been your teacher, like a, 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 a real, it was like, you read it and it just sounds like, oh, like this guy is terrified and is like, just like grasping at like the straws of his power. Um, and you know, so that was, uh, that was a story that the forward reported that, um, sort of prompted us to, to write this piece. Yeah, and you always kind of wonder, like, what would because Jewish culture in America uh, was so radically different 
not even that long ago when it was basically centered on like, not entirely centered, but a lot of it was driven by sort of New York uh, immigrant working class Jewish people. And then it kind of flipped and now it is basically really tightly controlled by this group of extremely rich people who have nothing in common with the vast majority of Jews across the world who are working people. And I, I think that it's also sort of like when we talk about like what like the difference between, you know, what the sort of like Jewish culture that we sort of commonly associate or like having like, you know, our, our memory of, you know, what it looked like in the 20th century and pre and post like, you know, like both before and after World War Two um, is that like it's also just a story of like class transformation that like a lot of like where, you know, Jews left the tenements and then they left the city and then they moved to the suburbs. And it's it's like totally just bound up with like a change in like class and social position. And I think Jewish institutions have sort of like they have um, outpaced like like very dramatically that like that that kind of transformation, because it's not like these institutions even represent like middle or upper middle class, like, you know, like uh, interests, which is probably how you would like what most Jews could be described as in America. They represent the interests of like the point zero zero one percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, as we know, like even in, in, in not, of course in non-Jewish society, just in, in society, I mean, the ideas of the day are the ideas of the rich. And it seems like, you know, as much as like, you know, a Wexner fellow can say like, well, I'm not influenced by it. Well, of course you're influenced by it. We're all influenced by it. They're setting the tone for the culture in general. Yes, we live in ideology, my friend. Yeah, like we can't escape it. I mean, especially when you're a fucking Wexner fellow. You know who else was a big Wexner fellow? Jeffrey fucking Epstein. <laughs> um, and there's been other sort of sexual scandals amongst the rakes of these like big donor guys, right? Yeah, so so that's another thing I think is important here is that um, when we started writing the piece, um, I think we were concerned that it would be like uh, that we'd get a lot of pushback um, for, you know, going too far and trying to like uh, connect some dots between like Epstein's uh, sexual politics and the sexual politics of like the, the Steinhardts and Wexners of the world. Um, and then as we started writing it, it was, we sort of like, I think kind of collectively remembered, oh, right. Steinhardt was last year accused of, um, or, or it sort of came out into the open, this had like already been an open secret, um, that he is like a, a serial um, sexual harasser. Um, there was major a big perk. scandal about major that. Um, and then also like sort of darkly hilariously, Stephen M. Cohen, who was the main um, uh, demographer, like the sociologist on all of these studies about Jewish continuity, um, himself was accused of years of sexual harassment and wound up resigning from his post at, um, I believe, University of Tel Aviv. And so... Um, Hebrew Union College. Oh, uh, so, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hebrew Union College. Uh, right, which is, to be clear, like in... That's, that's uh, the Reform Movement's um, seminary in New York. Um, so... In the wake of, uh, um, of those scandals last year, there actually was um, this move by a number of, I would say, sort of like mainstream Jewish world feminists who, you know, are, are like not crazy radicals like us, um, but are people who really kind of like 
want to save this uh, institutional world and like make it better instead of trying to tear it down, um, who were all saying themselves like continuity is fundamentally sexist. Um, like they were themselves making that connection between the behavior of the guys who are kind of creating this agenda and and the agenda that they were setting. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of women involved in this yeah, process. Yeah, I was just either. about to say, like, uh, it is. Like, it does, it is sexist. <laughs> or I don't even think sexist is the right term. But. It's, it's something almost like more, it's like darker than sexism. Well, look, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of layers going on um, of how you can describe it. But, like, it, I mean, on, on one level, and I think that this is what, um, the, you know, the sort of liberal feminist like op-eds in the foreword last year were really getting at is that the, the way that the continuity project has been framed fundamentally denies women reproductive autonomy. Yeah. And yeah. like, sure, you could say like, actually it denies everyone reproductive autonomy, but like when you're denying reproductive autonomy, like that always is going to, like, that's always about women. And it's of also course. like, there is like the reform movement said in the late nineties that, um, they considered anybody with a Jewish parent, father yeah. or mother, to be a Jew. But for the rest of the Jewish world, it's still matrilineal. Like, right. So they still yeah. view it that way, which like means again that it all just comes down to like it's like like it's it feels like the effect of this is just, just like Jewish women need to be marrying Jewish men. Absolutely, yeah, and and I mean. Of course, you can also get into some of the weirder practices of Orthodox Jews as well. My aunt uh, went ultra Orthodox and moved to. She wasn't when I was growing up. She was like a desert like Jew down in Southern California who like rode ATVs and blasted fucking uh, Marlboro One Hundreds. Uh, I lost track of her for a long time. And she, she sounds rad. Yeah, she rocked. Uh, yeah, that rules. Yeah. And, well, then I lost track of her. I and and she was like, you know, they were like kind of kind of poor, lived like on the outskirts of town. I found her again, you know, maybe three years ago, and she is living in the Midwest uh, and is ultra-Orthodox and, like, has a farm and stuff. And granted, it's a farm where they take care of kids with Down syndrome, which is pretty cool, but it's super weird because, like, she's doing the whole, like, she's wearing a wig. It seems like she they look almost Amish. I mean, there is there is something, like, worth noting here about, like, how there is also the increased presence. Like, Orthodox Jews used to be sort of, like, a non-factor in, like, Jewish yeah. institutional and Jewish public life. But now, like, like you like you could argue that it's because the winnowing number of secular Jews who care about being Jewish, like, <laughs> thus, like, like, a zero-sum, like, seeding more and more space to the Orthodox. It's actually that, like, a lot more and more you find that, like, even, like, the most sort of, like... Um, like radical reactionary politics associated with the Orthodox Jewish movement. Cause like, it's not totally reactionary and, and it's unfair to cre credit it that way. Yeah. But like a lot of like the core, like reactionary politics of it, particularly around gender um, are totally being exported to like, it's like, there's like total mission creep with that as far as it relates to the rest of the Jewish community. Yeah, I know it's like a pole and we're being sucked towards that. And I, I think the thing is like for, for a lot of American Jews, like uh, especially with secular ones who are more, more, I mean, like people like us, I think we're, we're sort of rejected by this mainstream Jewry where we're basically even told by, by some of the more extreme sectors that we're not Jews. We're worse. We're, we're like apostates. We're capos. We're, I mean, there's a book um, that won the man Booker like a decade ago called The Finkler Question by Howard Jacobson. He's a British author. And the whole book is like, I mean, it's very funny, but it's like very reactionary and very like angry at like all these Jews who hate themselves. And it describes like people who like try and undo their circumcisions and, and stuff like that. 
And it's like very clear that people like, you know, I think Jacobson is speaking for like a whole class of people who think that like we are worse than the Goyam because we are like, like, you know, like we're actively seeking the destruction of the Jewish people, which is like obviously an insane thing to to think, but is actually like is totally commonly felt among this class of people. Well, also, I think, you know, it's funny because I think anyone who takes, you know, a kind of more let's say, left-leaning or critical look at a lot of these politics and and a lot of these institutions gets totally fucked. Like, look at what happened with Finkelstein at Harvard. With Dershowitz. Yeah, our man Dershowitz, like, literally got him career cancellation and, like, exiled from any major institution because of the kind of critical line he takes on exactly the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Um, did you guys see, by the way, uh, what Dershowitz is up to um, with his, like, restaging of Bible yes. stories to reflect contemporary controversies? Who, who, wait, who's, yes, he was, it's like a play, right? Who's he representing? So he's doing... Um, it's at Temple Emmanuel yeah. in uh, the Upper East Side, and it was the story of jo- it was the story of Joseph, of Joseph. I believe, mm-hmm. and he was representing. So Chris Christie was role playing the prosecutor. Um, some TV personality was playing the judge, and Dershowitz is playing the defense. And I believe he had was it like. I don't think it's happened yet. No, no, it's it got canceled. It was scheduled for oh, November. Okay, um, it got, wait, it got it canceled. Wait, I kind of want to go, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> no, you guys got to go on assignment. I, I called them and requested a media pass, and then two days later, it was canceled. So no. <laughs> see, that's why. That's why you trust Jewish currents. Always on the hot fucking uh, story. I know. <laughs> But it was about it was it was trying to intervene in Epstein. It was this is from the Times of Israel um, before the event got canceled. Alan Dershowitz will take part in a mock trial event in which he will defend biblical characters accused of quote kidnapping and child trafficking. Oh. The celebrity lawyer will defend the brothers of Joseph in November and New York's Temple Emmanuel. In the Bible, Joseph's brothers kidnap and sell him into slavery because they are jealous of him. I mean, for God's sakes, it's like cartoonish. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really like an impressive level of doubling down, I have to say, to show how we're all snowflakes. But in the Bible, they, I guess, weren't snowflakes yet. I do think that we should go back in time and arrest these people. I'm not talking about Chris Christie or, or Alan Dershowitz. I'm talking about biblical figures. No. People, yeah. Well, you want a citizen's arrest, Joseph's brothers? Well, I was, <laughs> I was kind of thinking about. Uh, you guys, I think this is a musical. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, just saying, if if I were to arrest Jesus Christ, I definitely <laughs> would not let his ass be buried in a cave that he could emerge from later. I would just put him perhaps on an island, underwater, etc. I would have the Romans were fools. No, they should have done it like what they did with Joe Pesci at the end of Casino. Yes, yeah. Or or, or like Liz was alluding to, they got to do with Osama bin Laden, throw him <laughs> off the side of a naval ship, like some Roman naval ship, so that his body and place of burial can't be worshipped. Continue to listen to Trunon, where we compare Jesus Christ to Osama bin Laden. <laughs> both, <laughs> both, both mainstream religious figures, both controversial. <laughs> So we are we are drawing to a close here. I have one final question. Have you yet removed Jeffrey Epstein's Red Yenta profile? Um, so as one of the Yentas who founded Red Yenta, um, 
we would just like to say that we are so sorry that um, Epstein did not submit a profile when he had time because we could have fixed him up and uh, we could have avoided a lot of trouble for everyone. Basically, Red Yenta is like, Good trafficking. Yeah. Wait. No, 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 no. We do, we do think of ourselves as the good traffickers. Um... Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was so fun. Yes. Uh, I really, I know we talked about this when we spoke last. Uh, I'm very sorry that your friend Philip Roth was had 48 numbers listed for him in the black book. Um, <laughs> but that's what yeah. you get for being a shitty writer. Oh, come on, man. No, Brace has the worst opinions. On that. He thinks Philip Roth sucks and he hates Woody Allen. Yeah. It's like the worst. I'm so no, I'm ultra secular. Yeah, sure, let's, let's, yeah, let's just like make a deal. <laughs> well, well, yeah, listen. I think Woody Allen had like two good movies, but I had a girlfriend who made me watch Vicky Cristina Barcelona with her. She told me that it was a bananas style comedy. And this was in the days before. Yes. It was my old girlfriend. Oh my God. She sounds like a stupid bitch. No, she was, so she knew it wasn't. She was tricking me into going with her. That's funny, actually. I like Uh, her now. That's good. I'm impressed. And I waited for the other shoe to drop for like, Literally like an hour and a half into the movie, I'm like, oh, this is just one big setup, right? Like, it's not, you know, there's going to be like a couple yucks coming up. There were no yucks to be had. There's a lot of other, I mean, quote unquote, there's a lot happening in that movie. It's very sexual. Yeah, I know. It's just Woody Allen was like, I'm going to make softcore porn. I actually don't think that movie, I mean, of all of his like later movies, like the recent ones, that, that one's like... Not bad, I think. Yeah. Compared to like whatever, what was the thing that no one saw? Like Wonder Wheel or whatever that show? I didn't even see that. I don't know uh, what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, we also have a little Wonder Wheel blind item. Um, oh, right. Yeah, which we'll talk about on a later episode. Whatever, I don't care. I like Woody Allen. Epstein, Epstein actually apparently visited the set of Wonder Wheel with a couple of young uh, young ladies. Really? Yeah. I was about to make that joke. I, 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 th- I like. Uh, thank you for beating me to it with it actually being real. No, he <laughs> literally did. Yes, I, I have that confirmed. We, yeah, uh, we have a, we have one of our boots on the ground. Yeah. Told well, us a pretty well. One, I, I mean, it's basically just saying like. I worked on the set of Wonder Wheel and fucking Jeffrey Epstein was there with a bunch of teenagers. Yeah, he came by with teenagers. They didn't sign them in, which is like super illegal to not have like, like there's all these crazy regulations around like children working in movies. Uh, They bypassed them, uh, went and were hanging out in the set for a while, came out, bounced. um, And they were like, well, who was that? And uh, a certain pop singers who was on set his bodyguard was like, oh, he gave me his business card. It's a guy named Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, my God. Jesus yes. Christ. That's amazing. I mean, I obviously haven't seen Wonder Wheel because no one has. But right. I just, I'm just picturing, like, it, the amazing scene. I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be a Woody Allen apologist for purposes of this. Uh, the amazing scene in, um, in Annie Hall where um, – uh, we like revisit to Alvy Singer's childhood, um, and it's like under the um, the cyclone on Coney Island, and every time the roller coaster yes. goes over the tracks, the whole house shakes. And I'm just imagining that scene, but there's just Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> is just like peering in through the window, and like and like, and, like there's Nathan like Nathan because isn't it set in like old timey times? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oops, we should probably cut that. We can only mention Nathan. His name every like two episodes, not every episode. (laughs) 
So that was Marissa Brostoff, the culture editor for Jewish Currents, and that was Noah Colwin, who is a staff writer for Jewish Currents and the Complaining Review. Um, you guys have anything you want to plug before we uh, zoom out of here? Yes, uh, we do. We are, if you liked our article and you love Jewish Currents and you want to get print copies, um, please go to jewishcurrents.org. Check us out. Um, Subscriptions are $18 a year. It's a number of no significance whatsoever. And then if you live in New York, we are having our issue release party next at Union Pool on September 3rd. We have details on Facebook and elsewhere. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, It's free to go. And um, you can, there are going to be, I assure you, dozens of people there who will want to talk about nothing but Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, wait, yeah, that party sounds sick. You will get laid if you go to Union Pool if you're listening to this. Everyone gets laid at Union Pool. That's yeah. the only reason to go Absolutely to Union Pool. Absolutely can get laid at Union Pool. <laughs> uh, well, it has, been, it has been great. And uh, we will, next time that one of our people does something bad, we will have you back on. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it won't be long. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks right. so much, you guys. See ya. Thank, Thank you for having us. I like to talk to people uh, deep into the night. You've probably already noticed that I have incredibly blue eyes. I'm an executive by day, a well man by night. I love to have a good time. A nice bath with some champagne and candles. Boy, I sure am tired from that very cool <laughs> interview, Liz. That was not as anti-Semitic as I thought you were going to be. No, like, I'm Jewish. It's impossible for me to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, delighted to have those two on. And there is so much ep news coming up next week. Yeah, every day there's a new story, so... Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about next week. Um, we fun. got some killer episodes coming up. We are going to watch. We don't need to keep doing okay. it. We keep saying that every time. <laughs> we have no more episodes coming up. <laughs> this is the end of the show. Liz is taking a job in the Virgin Islands to oversee some estate or whatever. Uh, I just got named in a, in a will. And I was just, I had no idea. I have been made a Wexner fellow <laughs> at Ars Technica. <laughs> Here's something pretty crazy, and I want you to hear me out on this. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> so, on, and this is just a little leak about what we're coming up with next week. On Epstein's oh, parcel no. of land in New Mexico, inside his parcel, there is a plot that is owned by the state of New Mexico. On that plot, owned by the state of New Mexico, which again is ensconced in the bosom of Jeffrey <laughs> Epstein's vast, sprawling, uh, mad scientist estate. This is where the sex farm is. Uh-huh. Is a building. That building is rumored, and I have read this on at least two websites, <laughs> to be an entrance into an underground base. Now, recall, recall that the Dolce base, which is uh, sort of where all this UFO graze thing started, <laughs> that is located on the New Mexico-Arizona border, there is, and you can look this up in reputable news outlets, there has been reported firefights between Delta Delta Force, Delta teams, and Alien Greys. So um, we mentioned earlier that Brace has been pizza-pilled. So let me, let me state this. <laughs> I don't think that actually that firefight occurred. But the UFO stuff is... And well, I, let's we, not get too deep into this right now. It, well, the UFO stuff was a fucking psyop put out by the Air Force oh. to distract from stuff that was actually happening at these Air Force bases. And it's something else I want to keep in mind here. 
is that Epstein's New Mexico estate is an hour away from Los Alamos. And what's Los Alamos, Bruce? Los Alamos was, of course, where they famously uh, came up with a nuclear bomb. Mm. And there is a little Robert Maxwell connection there, too. Oh, man. We're going to get weird next week. Yes. I'm into it. Until then, do not talk to anybody who has anything to do with pizza in any way. (laughs) Um, Thanks, you guys, so much. We'll see you guys next week. This has been Brace. Liz. And our indomitable producer, Young Chomsky, signing off. Bye. Bye. Bye.